Oh, it's great to have you here today, and I'm excited back to Church Sunday, what this represents. I think, you know, preachers, we, 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 we got our seasons mixed up, okay? We, we love the start of fall, okay, and we dislike summer. That's just who preachers are, okay? And if you think about that, it might make sense to you, but I'm really glad to be here today. I have a question for you, and uh, maybe you got an answer, maybe you don't, but what is the largest organism in the world. The largest organism in the world. Some of you think that you know the answer. It is not the humongous fungus from Crystal Falls. Okay? Some of you have been told. Okay, I see a hand over there. Yell it out, Russ. You know what? We're just going to skip right by you. You are so good. I'm a, for those of you that did not hear Russ, I'm going to give you some hints. Okay? It weighs... 13 million pounds. Scientists actually have named it, they call it Pando, which means I spread. And hint number three is that it's in Fish Lake, Utah, and it covers 107 acres. Uh, Why don't you throw up a picture and, and let's show them what we're talking about here. Do you have that picture of the you do. Okay, it's up there. I just can't see it. Okay. It's a stand of quaking aspens that are literally genetically all identical, which means that under, under the surface of the soil, and they've tested this, this stand of aspen, they are all considered one tree. Okay? It's 107 acres. The root is underground and it goes from tree to tree and the way that those trees are duplicate is the roots actually then produce uh produce the the new trees themselves now i want you to know that there are some similarities between and remember they call it pando okay there's some similarities between pando and the church okay now today i'm i'm not going to preach about the church, but what I or about Pando, but I, what I want to do is I want to talk about how really the church is stronger when when it's to, when we're together. That there is literally something about this that we cannot deny. Now, over the past few weeks, we've talked about that together uh, we find peace, together we experience love, and if you have not been able to, to be here, I want you to go online, listen to those messages, silvercreekchurch.org, you can find those messages. But I want us to look again at Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. This church is a multicultural group of, of Christ followers. They're facing tremendous difficulties. They live in a, in a very metropolitan area. And those of us that live in Marquette know the rest of the UP thinks that we're metropolitan. Okay. Okay. We, we have, you know, we've we got roundabouts and, you know, stuff like that. But they're surrounded by powerful religious organizations. There's, there's really predominant and strong uh, philosophical viewpoints. And what's happening in the life of the church is they are trying to figure out how do we interweave our lives together, including our faith in Jesus Christ. And so just like the Ephesian church Here at Silver Creek, we're committed to doing this journey of faith together as God's people. 
We're committed to being a group of people that are, that are welcoming to the rest of our community, that invite them in because we believe in loving people. We believe in God's peace. We believe in His grace, that it's extended to everyone, and that we believe that Jesus wants to make an impact in our community. And so for starters, what I want to share with you is that there is strength in numbers. Now, I, I believe in the more the merrier. That's just my, my personality. That's my temperament. I, I believe that, that something that will make everything that you do better is more people. Okay? That's just, even if it's, if it's something that you're going to do that's miserable, it's better with more people. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? You can go out and suffer, but as long as you suffer with other people, there's something good about it. Okay? Let me prove it to you. At 5 o'clock in the morning yesterday, I convinced two of my friends, okay, that we should go for a run and do 16 miles, okay? That, that they, they are either really great friends or they are missing something in their thought process, okay? But when you suffer together, it's way more fun than when you suffer alone, okay? Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever been to Lake Itasca, Minnesota. I see two hands. Okay, three hands. Four, five, six. Okay. Those of you that have not been to Lake Itasca, let me just tell you that it's a small lake. It's about two square miles. And on one end of the lake, there's a, a very disorganized um, rock dam. It's, it, it really is not a dam. It's more of an outline to show you where Lake Itasca stops and a, a stream begins. And that stream at its beginning is about 18 inches deep and it starts out closer to 20 feet wide, but then in just a few yards it narrows down to just a few feet wide. But over the course of 2,350 miles, there are hundreds of other streams that join up with this one little stream. And then it goes from 18 inches deep to as much as 200 feet deep. It goes as much from, from, it goes from just a few feet wide to 11 miles wide. And in the process provides water for 18 million people. That, that little body of water where it starts and what it becomes is an example of what we're talking about becoming stronger together is all about. That, that river is called the Mississippi River. It's the second largest river in North America in the second largest river system in America. And we see that, that it, it becomes incredible. It starts at six cubic feet of water per second and by the time it empties into the Gulf of Mexico it is 600,000 cubic feet of water per second it's incredible what happens 
It started as a trickle, but then it becomes a massive waterway. So you say, what does a little stream flowing out of a small lake, how does that become mighty? It's because more and more streams just like it enter into the flow. The water that comes out of Lake Itasca never changes. It's never any different. It's always still the same. It's just water. But then another stream comes, and another stream comes, and another stream comes. And pretty soon, it literally, it, it, it just is overwhelming. The first century church found this to be true. That as people came to know Jesus and they became part of the body of Christ, something happened when their numbers began to grow. In Acts 2, verse 44, the, the book of Acts, it says that all believers were what? Together and had everything in common. I want you to notice that Luke, he writes that they were all together. There were not any divisions. In fact, at that time, there were no, there were no denominations. They were just all, all one. In fact, they were called the way because they were walking in the way of Jesus. That's all they were known as. And so they came together. And doing so, they were able to meet the needs of other people. They were able to fellowship with each other. They were able to evangelize. They were able to grow. I want you to know today that you and I were created to live in community. We were not created to be an island. We were not created to be isolated from others. We were created to live together in a sense of community. I want you to think about when God created Adam. He created Adam. He created the rest of creation. And he asked, he asked Adam, I want you to name everything uh, in creation. So everything came through and Adam began to name all of the animals that God had created. And the Bible says that God was not able to find anything that could be uh, a match with the man. And God had to have a divine moment of creativity where he created Eve because God said it is not good for man to be alone. Literally from creation, God's plan for you and I is that we would literally walk in community. Now, some of you, I know that, that there's a sense of, of fear maybe that grips you when you think about being in community with others because you say, well, I don't, I'm not exactly like them or maybe I don't want to be exactly like these people or those people. I want you to know that unity is not the same as uniformity. You do not have to be the same as everyone else. In fact, I would say this, it's the diversity among us that makes us strong. The fact that you're not like me and I'm not like you makes us better than if we were both the same. So as we build community, we have different people that are using our unique abilities, our unique talents, our unique passions to connect and to serve and to experience and to share God's love as the church and as we build that sense of community, we 
are stronger because we grow stronger in doing so. I love Ecclesiastes chapter 4 beginning at verse 9. It says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. My youngest has this figured out, okay? He is, he's like the Huckleberry Finn of 2019. He says, Dad, this will go a lot faster if you'll work with me here. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but I gave you that because I got to do this over here. But, Dad, it'll, it'll go faster if we work together, you know. <laughs> Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If one of them falls down, uh, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how will one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So I want you to know that, that when we come together... In unity, when we come together in a sense of community, we are physically, emotionally, and spiritually stronger than when we're alone. The Bible says that one can put a thousand to flight. Two can put ten thousand to flight. That tells me that when we are together, that when we are unified, that our impact goes up fivefold. That's an incredible promise. When we come together, our strength increases. God has designed you and I to be together because he knew that in doing so, we would be stronger. And we know that there are days when we need to be stronger than we are alone. And the way that can happen is when we are together. Next, we are one. So not only is there strength in numbers, but, but we are one. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Friends, there is no denying the fact that God has been very intentional about this idea of unity or togetherness as we read the word. In fact, the theme uh, of, of oneness or, or togetherness or unity is found throughout the scriptures in very key moments. What did Jesus say about our Heavenly Father? He said, the Father and I are sometimes on the same page. No, he said, we are one. We are one. In fact, he, he went on to say, Lord, I, I want them to realize that, that together we're also one. The idea that when we're baptized, we're baptized by one spirit so that we form one body, the Apostle Paul says. How about this one? And this dates back to the early Old Testament and Jesus confirms it in the New Testament when he said, the two, speaking of marriage, will become one flesh. 
So this idea of being one is something that we read about all throughout Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there will be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. We've talked a lot the last few weeks about culture, and I understand that our culture here in the UP works against this idea. In fact, some of our preferences work against this idea. Because we say things to ourselves like this, I don't really want to belong to others. In fact, you know what? I want to do my own thing. In fact, I want to do my own thing so much that if you wanted to do the same thing that I wanted to do, I would prefer to do it alone. That's, uh, that, listen, that that's, can be us, okay? The idea that, that I don't want to belong to other people, that I don't need other people, that you know what, I should be able to do it on my own. That is a real thing in our lives. It's a real thing in our culture. Well, I want you to know something that besides just this biblical idea of unity and oneness and togetherness, there's there's a lot of benefits that we have by being one body. Let me just share them with you really quickly. The first one is this, identification. Write these down. Paul refers to the Ephesians as the members of God's household. In the Gospels, Jesus tells his followers, he said, you know what, if you're ashamed of me before this sinful world, I'll be ashamed of you in front of my heavenly Father. John chapter 13 and verse 33, Jesus said, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus wants us to be easily identifiable as his followers, as his disciples. And when we walk together as a part of the church, a part of a body of Christ, we identify that we are being part of God's family. We think to ourselves, though, I don't know if I want to really be associated with that particular family or that particular family. It's bad enough in our own families. We're born into them. We don't have a choice, right? So sometimes we just don't talk about them. Sometimes we just say, uh, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving, Easter, and that's really my limit right there, okay? There's some church people like that, too, when you really think about it. It could be our families or it can be the church. But I want you to know that when we identify with the body of Christ, when we, are, when we are part of the body, the world sees us and knows that we are a part of that body. To be identified as part of God's family, it strengthens not only you as an individual, but it strengthens us as the body of Christ. You know, I think of this in terms of, of family. Some of you come from huge families, 
huge. When you, when you look back a few generations, I mean, you've got, you got aunts and uncles coming out your ears, okay? There are nieces and nephews that are just, it's, they're too numerous to even mention. And I don't, I don't have a family like that, okay? I don't come from that. But those families that you come from, many of them, you're, you're, you're literally, uh, an area is known by the last name in your family. That's how numerous you are. There is strength. You make an impact through just the sheer volume of people that are in your family. As the body of Christ, it's the same way. There is an impact that we have on the world that literally we are strengthened as the church. We are strengthened as individuals. Number two, motivation. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, this might be a struggle for you. It goes against the American culture of independence that we have. We've been taught that we need to be able to do things on our own. We need to be able to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We need to be responsible for us. And it's not all bad, but there are unintended results. And we think that to submit to another person is actually a sign of weakness. When I was a kid, my brother Dan, who was my, my dearest friend, he and I would, would get in some, we'd get in some fights. We'd get in some arguments. We were only a year and ten months apart. And, and he was, in, I'll, I'll just say this, he was a little bit of a stinker, okay, growing up. And sometimes we would get into an argument, and my dad didn't know how to resolve it. And so my dad's philosophy was, all right, get out here in the living room. And we would get out in the living room, and he would move the furniture aside, and he'd say, okay, wrestle. <laughs> Conflict resolution 101. <laughs> right there. I mean, we, we had to go at it, okay? And, and we never threw punches. That just wasn't who we were, okay? So we were going to wrestle. And I can remember, I mean, I had him in a headlock. And I had him down on the ground. And his face was turning beet red. And all I wanted him to do was just to say, okay, it's over. I give. Tap out. Whatever you, know, you want to do. And he would not do it. I'm convinced he would have rather have passed out, okay, than to give me the satisfaction of him crying uncle. He would not do it. When we become spiritually accountable to others, it's not a sign of weakness. It actually creates a depth in our own character in our lives and it strengthens us and it strengthens the church. But we feel like we've got to arch our back. We feel like we can't give in and that we've got to make sure that we overcome the other person. But there is something that happens that motivates our lives spiritually when we begin to surrender surrender to others who are a part of the body of Christ, the family of God. Number three is activation. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. 
Now to the one, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So through the Holy Spirit, God has given gifts to the body of Christ. He's given gifts to us individually for the common good of the church. So if we're not a part of the church and God has given us gifts that are given for the common good of the church, what is happening with those gifts? They are going unused. They're given for the common good of the church. God has gifted the church for the common good of itself. And if we isolate ourselves, the church is missing out on the benefits of our giftings. But when we engage with the church, those gifts will be activated. And both you as an individual and the church corporately will both be strengthened. They will both grow. There is an activation that takes place when we become connected as part of the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit pours out his giftings upon the church. We are built up. We are edified and the church is strengthened. Man, that's good stuff right there. Number four is preservation. Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 28. It says, keep watch over yourselves. And all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, listen to this, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. As believers, we face an enemy. And the enemy's objective is simple, steal, kill, and destroy. That means you that means your spouse, that means your children, that means your grandchildren, it means the church. The enemy is here to steal, kill, and destroy. I want you to think about that. The Bible says that he literally, he roams around like a roaring lion looking for who he can devour next. When we commit to being a part of a church. There is a sense of protection. Remember that verse that I read from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. As the church, we need to look out for one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to protect one another. We're not talking about being nosy. Well, I don't want anybody knowing my business. Well, how are people going to pray for you if you keep everything about your life into yourself and you don't ever share anything with anyone else? Friends, we need to be together. We need to help protect one another. The church grows stronger when we are protected by being together. We literally will persevere because of being together as the body of Christ. But I want you to know this, and I close with this, that growth requires change. If you're going to grow stronger in the Lord, you're going to have to change. Growing stronger is going to inevitably require change in your life. And you know what? I have learned 
is that we don't like change. But change inevitably goes hand in hand with growth. And I want you to know something about growth, is that the most significant growth doesn't take place overnight. It requires work. It takes time. And we get discouraged because we see what we were we want to be, and we see how far we have to get to, in order to be there, and we get discouraged and say, you know, this, this, this being together thing, it's really, not, it's really not producing the results as fast as I want them. I think I can just do better on my own. Oswald Chambers, in his book, My Utmost for His Highest, he says, as soon as we abandon ourselves to God, and do the task he has placed closest to us, he begins to fill our lives with surprises. Friends, together we grow stronger because we're trusting God and we're doing the next thing together. And we're encouraging one another in that. The Bible says that as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. This is how we grow. This is how we experience transformation. This strengthens us when we live and do life together as the body of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 12, the apostle Paul says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulty. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, I want you to know something. The church will never be perfect. Because it's full of a bunch of imperfect people. It's full of people that have weaknesses. And you are one of them. We acknowledge it today. Let's, let's just say it, September 15th, 2019. We acknowledge that the church, and, and let's just be specific, Silver Creek Church is not perfect. That we have weaknesses. We accept that, but we can't use it as an excuse to settle for things that are less than God is calling us to. He desires to strengthen us as a body and to use the church here and now. But it's going to require change in each of us. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, am I willing? Am I willing to make that kind of change in my life? I want you to know something, and, and today, maybe you're here, uh, you're a guest, uh, maybe this is the first time that you're here, and I want you to understand that the, the kind of growth that we're talking about, that it doesn't happen in our lives until we get connected to Jesus Christ through a personal relationship with him. And I want you to know that the Gospels, Jesus actually uses an illustration that's much like the one I started with. The Pando, you remember it? The 107 acres of quaking aspens. When Jesus said in John 15, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We've got to be connected to the vine. And if we're not connected to the vine, we cannot grow. We cannot replicate ourselves. We cannot protect ourselves. We cannot motivate ourselves. We cannot activate ourselves. We can do nothing. So, let me ask you this. Whether you're in the hub, whether you're in the cafe, maybe you're in the wiggle room or you're here in the sanctuary, maybe you're watching online and it's six months from now, have you been connected to Jesus? Have you, have you come to that place where you say, God, I, I realize that I've been trying to do this whole thing on my own, this spiritual thing or, or, or this life thing, and, and um, I realize that I'm, I'm not doing the best job of it and I need Jesus. I realize that, that I'm a sinner. I realize that there's nothing that I can do to earn my way to heaven. And so, from that point, you simply say, Jesus, I, I, I read the Bible and, and I, I realize that you died for me. I realize that you rose again on the third day. I realize that the Bible says you're even coming back for me again one day. And I want to be connected to the vine. That is Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Just make this a private moment between you and God. I realize that I can't see out into the hub or in the wiggle room. I can't see into the cafe. I may not even notice every person that's here in the sanctuary, but I want to simply ask you this question. Are you here today and you realize that you need to get connected to Jesus? Before you can ever grow stronger, spiritually speaking, before you can ever really be part of the body of Christ, you need to be connected first to Jesus Christ. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Just slip your hand up quickly so I can see it. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yes, 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 all over the room. You can put them down. Let's stand together. Father, you see these hands. These hands that have been raised that say, I, I need to be connected to Jesus. And Father, I believe that this is a serious moment. I believe that you've ordained this moment right now, here and now, you have ordained this moment that literally there are people that are going to open up the doors of their heart and they are going to invite Jesus into their lives as never before. Father, I pray that right now that the Holy Spirit would have his way. I pray that the voices of fear and doubt would be gone in Jesus' name. Friends, I'm going to invite every one of us within the sound of my voice to pray this prayer together for the benefit of those that have raised their hands. Let's pray this. Dear Lord Jesus, I acknowledge my need of you. 
I'm a sinner. And I cannot rid my sin. There's nothing I can do to be forgiven on my own. And I realize that there is a heaven. And I want to go there. So I ask you today, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Make me pure. And take me to heaven. Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.